uh, I want to mention one other thing, and um, this is a book called Survey Kit, uh, and we have, I, I hope and pray that you'll get involved in some of the Sunday school classes that we've got. We've got one class, I know it's been, it's teaching on the book of John, uh, we have another class that's teaching on the book of Romans, and then we have another class that's teaching prophetic things on prophecy. And that's for adults, and I hope that you'll do that, plus we've got other classes for kids and other things. But this is a, this book is called Survival Kit. I did this probably, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago. And if you're looking for something, say, I'm looking for a Bible study that I can study that, you know, I can't come to class for whatever reason it is, whatever. But what you can do, these books are, they were like $5.95, and now I think they've gone up to like $7. But and what you do, you go through and you'll do the lesson. And once you do the lesson, then you go online to our website. I teach that lesson. And so you can do this lesson and then go online and I will teach that lesson to you again. And bring up other things that maybe you hadn't thought of, whatever. So, And like I said, all we ask is if you can, if you can't, don't worry about it. We'll, but that's about $7 is what that book is. But you do that on your own time, on your own. And I think I, I did like 23, 20, uh, maybe 22 to 23 lessons. I still have probably about another four in that book to finish because I couldn't get it all finished. But I will get those completed and get it done uh, just as quick as, as I can. And those are, you just go to Grace on Main, which is our website. Is that correct? Okay. And uh, so if you uh, do that. All right. Let me start off by reading this to you. Uh, you know, every restaurant you go to now, probably things are slow. And, and because they're slow, because they, and they say they can't get any help. I don't know whatever's going on. Anyway, a CEO of a company calls a meeting. And he began to tell his employees that he's fed up with their laziness. They will no longer put up with it, and he's now red in the face and angry. And then he says that if things don't change, he'll fire every cotton-picking one of them. He goes on to say, if you don't like it, I'll give you and your money now, and you can get out. There's a guy who has been standing in the back, and the guy comes forward, and the CEO looks at him, and he says, what do you want? And the guy sheepishly says, I want my money. And the CEO, CEO says, great. You just wait right here, and he goes out, and he gets a room, and he comes back and hands him a, a, an envelope, and he says, here's four weeks' work, $1,600, now get out. Guy takes his money, and he leaves. He now looks at the room, and, and, and does anybody else want to quit? And then he says, who was that guy? What department he's in? And the guy in the back says, that was the delivery guy from Domino's Pizza. That was a pizza, wasn't it? You know, I, 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 in sermon preparation, I prayed what the Lord would have me to preach. And there's so many things, you know, people, you know, we hear all kinds of people that are saying that we can't, uh, um, you know, the church doesn't need to get in politics. Well, you need to go back and you need to read the history of this country because there was a group of preachers that were called black robes. And they did. In fact, most of those guys with black robes of preachers had a musket laying right beside their Bible on the pulpit. Many of them, in their robe, black robes, led the charge in battle. The last thing I want to do is get in some kind of controversy. But there are things that are happening in our culture that go against the grain of what the Bible teaches. And we have no choice then 
It's not the point that we set out to do that and are to be political in any way. It's just the point that we have to come to a place that we have to speak if it goes against what Scripture teaches. We have no choice in that. But I always love those times that the Lord just gives me something just to talk about Jesus. I'd rather talk about Jesus than I would all this other mess that's going on. And this is one of those days that I get to talk about my Lord. So I want you to turn with me to the 22nd chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew 22, and we'll start reading there with verse 41. Matthew twenty-two forty-one. 41. I hope you bring your Bibles. We need to get in the habit, people, of carrying our Bibles. And uh, as we do that, uh, have them in our hands and let people know, we, you know, What's Romans 1, 16? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. We don't need to be ashamed of the word of God. So I want you to read, uh, follow along. If you don't have it, we got it up on the screen. Listen to what it says. And while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How then... Does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit on my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity we had. And Lord, may we preach this like this is maybe the last opportunity, the last chance that we may have. Who knows? You may call us home, but then again, Lord, the Lord may come at any minute. Maybe come before I finish this sermon. So, Lord Jesus, we just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything. Lord, we can't do this without you. We need you so much today. There's people in here right now, Lord. They don't know where they're going to turn, what they're going to do, and their, and their life maybe is just out of balance or whatever. And then, Lord, help us to come to that place that we understand we need you. And so, Lord, I pray that you be with us today and may whatever we say and do bring honor and glory to your name. We ask that in Jesus' name. So Jesus comes, and he's talking to the Pharisees, and he poses a question to them. And here's the question he asked. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? I really believe that that's life's greatest question. What do you think about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? It has nothing to do with it has nothing to do with what denomination you're in. It has nothing to do with whether or not, whether or not you are a premillennialist, postmillennialist, all millennialist, or whatever, all millennials, and all the other kind of millennials out there. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with who the relationship you have. Take everything, scoot it out of the way, and come to a place and understand what is your relationship with Jesus. Now, Jesus once before was sitting with the disciples, and he asked them, who do, you, who do men say that I am? And one said, well, they, some people say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say you're Jeremiah. Or some people say that you're one of the prophets. But then here comes the question that he puts to every one of us. 
And it's the most important question that you'll ever be asked. I don't care where you are theologically. I don't care where you are politically. I don't care where you are in any area. Here's the question. But who do you say that I am? You know, it's not that you, you can't answer by saying, well, my grandfather was a preacher. God doesn't have a group playing going to glory. I hate to tell you that. You can't say, well, I've been in Sunday school. I've got Sunday school pins. No, that's not the question. Or even some people think they may have a, 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 a legal right. No. Who do you say that I am? Who's Jesus to you? Take away everything else. You're standing in front of Jesus, and Jesus is looking at you, and he's saying, who do you say that I am? And, of course, we know what Peter did. Peter spoke up, and he said, simply, he said, and I don't believe that when Peter said this, he said, all of a sudden, he said, well, you're the Christ. I don't think he said it that way. I think it was a moment of inspiration. I think it was a moment. I think it was a moment of absolute revelation. And Peter looks at him, and here's what he says. He looks at him, and for the first time, he realizes, and he says, you're the Christ. And God, Jesus comes back to him and says, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And upon that rock I will, upon that rock I will build my church. Now the Catholics will tell you simply that the church started built upon the rock of, Jesus, of Peter. That's not true. The truth of the matter is, what Jesus was saying is, upon the revelation of who he is, I'm going to build my church. That you understand who he is. What do you think of Jesus? What do you think of Jesus? You know, I believe it with all my heart. It's life's greatest question. It's a question that you need to ask before you come to a place that you say simply, uh, well, what are you going to do with your your parents coming and ask you, what are you going to do with your life? Who are you going to marry? Are you going to buy this house, buy this car? No, the greatest question that any of us could ever ask is simply or have to answer is, what will you do with Jesus? Why would this life, why would this be life's greatest question? Because your answer determines your eternal destiny. And when we die one of these days, and we all will die, the Bible says it's appointed unto us today. We got an appointment with death, one of the, unless the Lord comes and gets us. If that is the case, then we don't cease to exist. You always exist. But you have a determination of who you, who you think Jesus is will determine whether or not you go to heaven or hell. He's just a, is he, to you, is he just a historical figure? 
Is he an imaginary figure that man just made up? Is he a deranged lunatic who imagined he was the son of God? Is he just a fire escape from the pangs of hell? Or can we just pass him by and just ignore him? I'm telling you, you can't ignore him. You can't ignore him. To me, that's the one thing that we cannot do. We have to choose. There is no option but to decide who Jesus will be to you. The Bible says, what shall we do if we neglect so great a salvation? Pilate, you know, when I read the story of Pilate, Pilate did not want to be in the situation he was. But God put him in that situation. God put Pilate in that situation for him to determine and to know whether or not who, would, who Jesus was in his life. And he asked the question that it begs the question for all of us too. He said, what shall I do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with Jesus? I would be willing to say there's not a person here who has not thought more or less about Christ. You've heard about him. You've read about him. You've heard men preach about him for almost 2,000 years. Men have been talking about who he is. Yet this question comes up addressed to all of us today. What do you think of Jesus? If I were to ask you what you thought of the president, you would speak out, I guarantee you. You tell me your opinion in a minute. If I were to ask you about a famous sports person or a movie star, most of you would tell me freely what you think about him or what you didn't like about him. So why should people not make up their minds about the Lord Jesus Christ also and take their stands for or against him? If you think well of him, why not speak well of him and be on his side? But if you think ill of him and believe him to be an imposter and that he did not die to save the world, as many believe, the Muslims will tell you that Jesus was never crucified. They will tell you that it was, they will tell you that it was uh, Judas that went to the cross. But you see, if they can do away with the crucifixion, then the big, the big thing they have to deal with then is what? You have to deal with the resurrection. Then they don't have to deal with the resurrection. Because Jesus did not just stay in the grave, he resurrected. And no, and that's the reason that the Bible says, if we confess him as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, because the resurrection separates Jesus from all other religions. Really, it's not a religion, it's a relationship between you and him. It would be a great day in Christianity if men would just take sides. Then we could know who he is, who, he, who is for him, and who's against him. We can even get hats, you know, to wear. So when they come down the street, we can see, oh, that guy, oh, there's one that's for him. That's what we could do, you know. Is it any wonder that the timeline for mankind ends in this earth before the rapture of the church with the period of the Laodicean church? 
Because the Bible says over in the book of Revelation, chapter 15, it says, he talks to this, and this is the time. See, I believe in the seven churches of Revelation, there's three parts to that. And the three parts, number one, they were literal churches. They were actual places. But number two, they were not only that, but they're also the what Jesus had, and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not John the Revelator. It was, it was what Jesus had to say through John. But Jesus speaks to those seven churches, and those same things can be applied to every church that is alive today. But there's a third reason for those seven churches, and that was their time periods. And we're living in that last time period. And that last time period is the church of Laodicea. And what is it? I know you, here's what it says. It says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. In other words, you can't tell whether they're for Jesus or against him. You're neither cold nor hot. Uh, go back to that verse 15. You're cold nor hot. Uh, but I could wish that you were cold or hot. And he goes on to say, verse 16, he says this. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. That's what he says. So why are we in this time period? Because we have not heeded the words of Joshua in Joshua 24, verse 15, when he simply says, And it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father serve where you're on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. We've got to make a decision. Do you think that we can straddle the fence? Have one foot in the world and one foot with Christ. Jesus said over in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for either they'll hate the one and love the other, or else they'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. He tells us also in the book of Deuteronomy verse 19, and by the way, let me just say this to you. When people try to tell you that Jesus didn't say anything about certain subjects like homosexuality, listen, who wrote the Bible? So when I, when I go over to I go over to the book of Leviticus and it says that, uh, that it is an abomination to God, who wrote that? Jesus did. If you go back and you read, I'm not going to get into this. Uh, but you go back to you go back to the book of Genesis. I mean, here, here, here's Abraham sitting at his door. Here comes Jesus with two angels. Where are they going to? They're going to Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't tell me he didn't say anything about it, because he did. We must choose. Some will say, well, I have. I've already made that choice years ago. May I ask you a question? You say, I came to Jesus when I was seven or eight years old, whenever I was baptized. There's an old, there's an old question that is asked if, if you were brought into court, and we may, well, that may be happening, we go into court and you, and. And, and you're found guilty, you, can, is there enough evidence in your life to find you guilty of being a Christian? Or did you come to Jesus because mom and dad wanted you to, or whatever else, you know, or the preacher came out and talked to you, and since that time your life has not changed? Is it of little importance that the world thinks of anyone? We now live in a time where movie stars and sports people think their opinion should matter. People on Facebook or Twitter want to give their opinion, especially when it doesn't cost them. I hate, tw mm -hmm. I hate tweeting or whatever it is, Twitter or what it is. I, I hate, I, you know, people say, ask for a phone number. Well, I'll text it to you. Mm. Just tell me. Just tell me what the cotton-picking number is. I'll write it down or whatever. But, 
But we hide behind some of that stuff. We think we can, we can look at this stuff and do it and, and we think we have no responsibility. When the Bible teaches us clearly that every idle word that people will tweet, we'll give an answer to. But what's your opinion of Jesus? Who was he and who is he to you? Because in the back of every man or woman's mind on this earth is concern for those who Jesus was. Every one of us, the same place Pilate was in, what shall I do? What shall you do with Jesus? I'm not asking what you think of the establishment of the church or whether you're a Baptist, a Presbyterian, Roman Catholic. No, I'm asking about Jesus in your life. Was he the son of God? The great God-man, did he leave heaven and come down to this world for a purpose? Did he really come to seek and to save that which was lost? And did he really resurrect from the dead? Do you believe that? See, those are the items of things that they're, they're attacking. Those are the things that we have to have iron shirt, know for fact that it's there. If we begin with the manger and following him through 33 years here on the earth, if I, ask him, if I ask him about coming into this world and being born in a manger when he should have been in a palace, did he leave the grandeur and the glory of heaven and the royal servanthood of the angels? Why did, why did he pass by palaces and crowns and dominions and come down here alone? I would ask, what do you think of him as a teacher? They sent some soldiers one time to arrest Jesus and they went and they got in there and Jesus was up front with teaching and so they said well we'll just sit in the back and we'll get him later you know and when they went back to went back to uh, uh, the, the, the leaders they went back to them and, and they asked him they said, they said well did you get him I said well no why didn't you get him because no man ever taught the way that Jesus taught no man ever taught the way Jesus did. No man taught with such authority as Jesus did. I would ask, what do you think of Jesus as a preacher? I'd bring you to that mountainside that we might listen to the words that fell gently from his lips. Gandhi one time said the Sermon on the Mount was the greatest sermon ever preached. I would rather a thousand times have five minutes at the feet of Jesus than listen to a lifetime of those wise men of the world. Jesus would and could hang truth on anything. A fox, a bird. He just gathered the truth around them so that you cannot see today a fox or a bird without thinking what Jesus said. Yonder in the lily of the valley, you cannot see it without thinking of his words. They toil not, neither do they spin. He makes the little sparrow chirping on the branch preach to us. And how fresh are those wonderful stories and how they live on this earth. Stories that children love to hear. I didn't start reading the Bible until I was 18 years old. And God put such a thirst inside me that I could not put it down. But I remember, I remember, you know, I remember we had a, an older lady that was a substitute teacher that would come when I was out. And I was in, I was think I was in like the sixth or seventh grade. And she would come and, and, and after we'd finished our work and everything, she would go up front and she, would, she had a big book with her. And she would open up that book and she would read us Bible stories out of that book. I'd never heard those stories before. And those stories grabbed a hold of my heart. 
And I had such a thirst for those things. To, just to hear, I wanted to hear every sight I possibly could. Jesus did that. Jesus takes the simple and makes it profound. He puzzled the wise men. Yes, he was the greatest and most wonderful preacher that ever walked the face of this earth. And may I ask, do you think of him as a physician? And was he not the great physician? For, for no case was brought to him but that he did not have a match for it. He had not to speak a word. A disease fled before him. A man with leprosy. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean, he cried. Oh, is that not what we ask? Lord, can you heal my marriage? Lord, can you, can you find me a job? Lord, can you, can you touch me and heal me? Is that not the same thing that we And we think, oh, we got to beg for the Lord. And, and, you know, Jesus tells a parable about a woman who comes to a, a, a man at midnight, and she says, I've got some friends that's come to me, but I have nothing for them. Will you get? And, and the Bible says that the man gets up and he gives her what she wants, but it says, for the importunity. Well, in other words, he's saying this. He's saying, she's going to bug me to death until I give her what she wants. So as a result of that, I've got to give it to her. What's the purpose of that? Jesus is telling that story because he's saying to you, our heavenly Father is not like that. You don't have to beg him to get what he wants. He desires to answer your prayer. This is why James says, the reason you have not is because you ask not. This is what Jesus said. He said, hitherto you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Why would your joy be full? Because God heard you and answered your prayer. I get happy when God does that. He had but to speak a word. Lord, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I will. The Lord answers as always, I will. And in an instancy, leprosy was gone. The world has hospitals of incurable diseases. But there were not incurable diseases with Jesus. Do you know my Jesus? And what about him as a comforter? I see him in a little house in Bethany binding up the wounded hearts of Mary and Martha. Tell, tell me, Lord, what, what, you, what you think of him as a comforter. He is a husband to the widow, a father to the fatherless. A weary may find resting place upon him, and the friendless may know him as a friend. He never varies. He never fails. He never dies. His sympathy is ever fresh, and his love is forever free. We will not think of God for Christ the comforter. But let us go, Father. Let us go on to those, those who know him or knew him and ask what they thought of him. If you truly want to know a man, you go to those who know him, both friends and enemies, and you ask, what do you think of Jesus? Let's ask his enemies first. Those who hated him, persecuted him, and cursed him, and slew him. Let us first go to the Pharisees. We know how they hated him. You know? If we ask, what do you have against him? What, what is it that you didn't like about Jesus? They said, this man received sinners. He ate with them. He even went to their homes. But what an argument. Is that not the very thing that makes us love him? Because even when I screw up, when my life is a mess, he doesn't throw me away. That he has a purpose in your life, even when you've done things you wish you'd never done. And the Bible says here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son 
to be the propitiation for our son. He loved us while we were yet still in our sins. Is that not the glory of the gospel that he received sinners? If he had not that hope, do we have? If, if, we, if he does not, do we have any hope? I think not. Is the glory of the gospel he receives sinners? If he had not, what, what hope? Do, let, us, let us ask the Pharisees. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, you had something to say. What was it? You said he saved others, but he could not save himself. You see, Jesus had to choose. He could have saved himself. He could have gone back to heaven if he wanted to. But if he'd gone back to heaven, he went back to heaven without you. He had to make a choice. And the choice was between himself and you. He could not save himself and save us at the same time. So he laid down his life for you and me. And the Bible says, greater love hath no man than this to lay down his life for another. Let's call upon Caiaphas, the chief priest, and ask him, what do you have to say? Were you the chief priest and head of the Sanhedrin? You were in charge when they found Jesus guilty, and you yourself condemned him. On what grounds was he condemned? On what grounds did you find him guilty? And the testimony was brought against him, and he, he, said, he said he spoke blaspheme. He said he was the son of God. You slew him for him saying he was the son of God. He was coming as the bride. And yet even today we got those that are going around testifying. Oh, Jesus never said he was the son of God. He went to the cross because he said he was the son of God. And Pilate, what about Pilate? What does he have to say? Pilate, this man was brought before you. You examined him. You talked with him face to face. What do you think about Jesus, Pilate? You said, I find no fault in him. He said, he was the king of the Jews. I find no fault in him. And such is the testimony of the man who examined him. A man who comes to Pilate with a note. And, he's, and, it, and the note is from his wife. And his wife has written him a note. It says, have nothing to do with this just man. For I've suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. You don't know what his enemies thought of him? You don't know what the heathen thought of him? Well, here it is. We find no fault in him. The wife of Pilate, this is a just man. Now, here comes Judas. What about it, Judas? Tell us, Judas. What do you think of Jesus? You knew the master well. You sold him for 30 pieces of silver. You betrayed him with a kiss. You saw him perform those miracles. You saw how he cared for others. You saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And I see Judas as he comes into the presence of the chief priest. And I, I can hear the ring of those 30 pieces of dashes on the ground. And I hear him cry, I have betrayed innocent blood. Yes, those that were guilty of his death to put the testimony on record that he was an innocent man. And what about the centurion that carried out the crucifixion? Tell us what you thought. Truly, this was, he says, the Son of God. What about the thief on the cross? He said, this, this man hath done nothing. And what about the demons? It always amazed me that other people who could not recognize Jesus because the Bible says he came into his own, his own received him not. But the demons recognized who Jesus was. The gathering when he went to, to heal him from the demons. And, and, and the Bible says that, the, that in the book of Mark, the unclean spirits cried out, Jesus, thou son of the most high God. This tells us you can have an intellectual belief, but the demons have an intellectual belief, but don't know him. 
They don't know Jesus. Do you know him? And what about those that were his friends? John the Baptist, a man who praised the, the Jesus praised, was the greatest prophet that ever lived. It was John the Baptist that said, simply, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, did any wonder that John drew all the Jerusalem and Jew to him? And why? Because he preached Christ. This is something the church has forgotten about. Because Jesus told us that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Are we lifting up Jesus? If we don't lift up Jesus, how in the world can we expect people to come? They're searching for answers. And the only answer out there is really through Christ and Him alone. Let us bring Peter into the play. Who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Who was with Jesus and, and they saw, he saw Jesus in all his glory. He saw him in the garden when his sweat became great drops of blood. Peter saw Jesus at his best and saw him at the toughest time in his life. Peter, tell us what you think of Jesus. And Peter will tell you I denied him once. And begin to curse that, you, that I didn't even know him. Yet the Bible says when the appearance is the resurrection that Jesus came to Peter individually to tell him he loved him. Yeah, what a different man, what a different man after the resurrection on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands that day unashamed in the presence of the same people and declares Jesus whom you crucified was the Christ, the Son of God. Tradition tells us that when Peter was crucified, he asked to be crucified upside down because he felt unworthy of his Lord. Matthew writes that Jesus was the royal king. Mark writes that he was a servant. Luke writes that he was the son of man. John goes back to Genesis 1-1 to show that Jesus was not a creation of God, but he was God because the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That he was not only God, but he was part of the Holy Trinity. Thomas, who doubted him, yet when he saw the scars in his hands and the feet uh, and, and his feet and where the spear had cut him, he all Thomas could say, "My Lord, my God." And all those disciples, you answer this question: All those disciples that ran. Now Jesus told Peter he would run. He told him that you're going to deny me for the cock crows. Uh, if the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. And when the cock crowed, they were bringing Jesus across. They're bringing Jesus across the porch. He'd been battered. And Isaiah tells us that you couldn't even recognize who Jesus was. He's so beat up and bludgeoned and everything. He didn't even look like human. And he comes across. And Jesus, can you imagine this? Jesus looks up. And when he looks up, there's Peter. And their eyes meet. It's any wonder that Peter went out, the Bible says, and he wept bitterly. But later on that day, all that after those three days, of, he was in the grave and he resurrected. He has an individual meeting. When you look at the when you look at the at the uh, the accounts of of the order of of those people that saw Jesus after the resurrection, one of those was Peter. He came to Peter. He also saw him. He also saw Peter on the on the shore one day and. and and they're in the boat, and they'd gone out because Peter, Peter wanted, and this is what we do. When things don't work out, rather than staying in his presence, getting alone with him, what do we do? Peter says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back. The other said, we're going with you. We're going back to the old way. 
but the old way holds nothing for you. Why should you go back that way? And so Peter goes back, and he's fishing, and they're out there, and, and they haven't caught a thing. They've been fishing all day and caught a thing. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice from the, the land over standing on the shore, and, and they listen to this voice, the sweet, wonderful voice of our Savior. He says, children, have you caught anything? Oh, how he loved us. John immediately, he recognized who Jesus is. And when he does that, John looks over and he says, It's the Lord. What's Peter do? He doesn't wait for the boat to get to the shore. Peter's already jumping in the water. He's swimming to it. I really believe when, Jesus, when Peter walked on the water, you know, why did he want to get out of the boat and walk on the water? Because he wanted to be where his Lord was. So he tells him, Peter, do you love me? He, he says to him, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Do you love me unconditionally? Peter says, you know I love you like a brother. He says, Peter, do you, he said, do you agape me? He said, Lord, I love you like a brother. He comes back and finally, if the Lord can just get something out of you, he'll take it. He said, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. But you see, all those disciples who ran that day, who ran and, and wouldn't stand with Jesus and dispersed all that, all of a sudden, something changed in their life. Peter stands among the same people that he was afraid of before and preaches this great message, and 3,000 people are saved. When you read the story of, 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 of the disciples, only one lived to an old age, and that was John. All the rest were martyred. Even Thomas died in India. God sent him to the place of 30,000 deities, or 130,000 deities. The doubter, he goes. And they all died for the cause. Why did they, what was the change in them? Why, why was it that all of a sudden, all of a sudden these men who were just a bunch of Chicken bunch of guys that ran, all of a sudden now, they're standing boldly and proclaiming the gospel. Why? They saw Jesus. He resurrected. And they knew it was, knew that these men would not die for a lie. That's what happened. And then there was John. You know, there was John. John who leaned upon the breast of, of Jesus. John, who five times in, in his book said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And when I first read that, I thought, boy, the Lord really, really loved John, didn't he? Then I read in Matthew, and I read in Luke, and I read in Matthew. It's not in there. John wrote it in his own book, the disciple whom Jesus loved. When you, they're, running to the, they're running to the grave, and, and Peter Peter, uh, Peter is running with him and they're running. Of course, John's younger than Peter. And John gets there first. And he includes that in his book. He says, I outrun him. But the disciple whom Jesus loved. It was John who leaned upon the breast of Jesus. It was John who listened to the heartbeat of my Lord. He listened to his heartbeat. It was John that his whole book was written about the love of the Lord. He knew more about Jesus than any man. He laid his head on his bosom. 
Five times he said the disciple whom Jesus loved. Matthew writes that Jesus, Matthew writes that he was a royal king. Mark writes that he was a servant. Luke writes that he was the son of God. John goes back to Genesis and in the beginning was the word and the word was God. There are other witnesses. Saul, who became Paul, yet years later would write and, 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 and write in Philippians chapter 3. He said, yet indeed I also count all things lost. Everything I count it lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of things that count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. We could summon the angels. They saw him in heaven, loved by the Father. They, they sang the praises of goodwill to all men that night when he was born. They saw him leave the throne of heaven and come down to earth in a manger. Their testimony in Luke chapter 2, he says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Then to the redeemed saints, That's your mom and dad. That's your brother and sister. That's our people that's gone on. There's a redeemed saints who are in heaven now and they see him face to face because the Bible says in John that we will see him face to face. What do they think? If I could hear from heaven, we would hear a shout that would glorify and magnify his name. The greatest thing that can happen to a child of God, listen to me, is to die and to go to heaven. And if we can see what they're going through, if we can see who they are right now, boy, we would say, there's no way in the world I want them to come back to this world. John writes as he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he says over in Revelation chapter 5, starting with verse 11, he says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, living creatures and the elders, and the numbers of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And, and it goes on to verse 12 saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb of who was slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then verse 13 it says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard them saying, Blessed and honor and glory and power to be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever then the four living creatures said amen and 24 elders fell down and worshipped him worshipped him who lives forever and ever but there's one more witness that we need to hear from what do you think of Jesus when Jesus was baptized, the Bible says simply the Bible says simply that when Jesus was baptized, that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice was heard from heaven, which was the Father's voice, and the Father said, "This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." The Bible says then Jesus was led off to be tempted, and what's the first temptation that that, that Satan tried with him? The first temptation that Satan tried with him is simply to say this: if, He said this, "If you be the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread." What did he leave off? God said, "This is my beloved Son." You see, this is why when you're going through something, when something is happening in your life, the first thing you begin to think of is that God doesn't love you. Oh, how Satan wants to screw all that and make you think he doesn't love you. He loves you with an everlasting love. What the Bible says. 
And so in the transfiguration, Peter starts to speak. He starts, you know, here, here says, you know, transfiguration, here says Moses, here said Elijah, and here's Jesus. And, he's, and, and, and as a result of that, uh, Peter speaks up and says, Lord, boy, it's good that we're here. We'll build a ship for him. Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. And, and so God said, shut up and listen. Here's, here's my son. Hear him. What's he say? Once again, God said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. The moment we say we are well pleased with him, accept him and finish work on Calvary, as the payment for our sins, he becomes Lord and Savior. You and I are wedded to him. Will you believe the testimony of all these people I've given you today? Will you hear him today? And which will it be? Who, who, will you, who will you allow Jesus to be in your life? Will you allow him to be your savior? Come to him today? Or will you neglect and procrastinate until the day you stand before him and he's now not your savior, but he's your judge? Will you come out of the darkness into the light? I'll finish up this way. Look at Genesis 1.5. You know, the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. He's not. Everything God does, he doesn't order. And look at this. God called the light day and the darkness, and he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So where does God start? He always starts with the evening. He starts where it's dark. And then he comes into the morning. He comes into the light. You see, when you and I... Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that before you and I got saved that we were in darkness we were dead in our trespasses and sins and so as a result of that God had to take us and bring us out of the darkness and bring us into the light that's what he had to do but I want, to, I want, I want you to listen to this uh, you know I want you to listen to this quote of John Bunyan, John Bunyan who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress and uh, and listen what it says here. It says, he said this, he said, he said, that which is last, what's last? Put that, put that scripture back up there if you don't care, one five. Can you put it back? Okay. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. So God goes from evening to where? To morning. He goes from darkness to light. Okay? This is the same thing he does in our life. Listen to what Bunyan said. That which is last lasts forever. What's last? Light. It lasts forever. Light lasts forever. So he goes on, he says, that comes light. So even though you're naturally darkness, once you have become light in the Lord, listen to this, there's no evening to follow. There's no evening to follow. Your sun shall no more go down. And if you can put up there, put up another one more verse, because I want to show you this. Isaiah 60, verse 20. Can you do that one? Isaiah 60, verse 20. I know I'm confusing them back there. They're probably, they love me to death, because I give them this last stuff in the last one. Look at it. Your son shall no longer go down. <laughs> you know? Amen? Amen? Praise God. Your son not going down. Amen? And we just read in Sunday school this morning over in Romans 5, five times Paul says this. He says this he, over and over again. He says, and, and what, oh, come here, Chrissy, where are you? Where's Chrissy? I can't find her. What, what, oh, she's not in here. Uh, un, what's, what's it say in Romans 5? Five times he writes this. I, I'm, my mind's gone blank all of a sudden, which that's, my wife says that. Much more, 
Much more. Much more. Much more. What's God wanting to do in your life? Much more. Much more. And then I go over to some place like Ephesians 3.20. What does it say? Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you think or ask according to the power that does what works in you. Man, that's good stuff. If I'd, have, if I'd have preached this down in Brazil, those people would be jumping out of their seats saying that. And there in America, we say, oh, that, that's nice. That's nice. <laughs> we don't get excited enough about things. Amen? That's what he wants to do. He wants to do much more. You say, but Lee, this happened, this happened, this happened. He knows that. When he saved you, he knew that. So who's Jesus to you? Who's Jesus to you? Is he just, well, he's a great, great man. I, I believe in Jesus. No, but is he the Lord of your life? He's the Lord of your life. Does his power work within your life? Does he? Then I hope and pray that he does. We're going to have a stand today. We always do this. I, we always have a, yeah, I know a lot of churches.